Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's podcast and Bible lesson. Today, we are going to uh, take a look at the eighth chapter of Romans, and I thank you for listening in. But we have some good news in that Barry is going to come home, I think, next Tuesday uh, after a month of hospital and rehab stay. And uh, I'm sure they're looking forward to that. and, And praise God. We still have others in need, so we need to continue to pray for these needs. Um, I appreciate you guys checking in on each other throughout the week. Uh, so as we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. To Heavenly Father, we are indeed so thankful that we're able to come to you in prayer. Father, we're thankful for your love and your mercy. Father, we're thankful for your power that you uh, can give us. And Father, that uh, through this power, as we saw this past week in celebrating Easter, uh, to have power over death and to have the assurance, Father, that uh, we have through uh, through Jesus Christ. And we're just so thankful for, for your word uh, from Genesis through the Revelation, Father. We're just thankful for the words of uh, your heart. And, Father, we ask that as we study that we can apply these to our hearts that we might be uh, stronger Christian people in this day and age uh, where uh, oftentimes the lines are blurred as to uh, Christian life or not. And so, Father, we just ask your blessings upon uh, us as we study. Father, we continue to pray for those that are in health need. Um, Father, we don't want to forget them, and we don't. And we know you don't. And so, Father, we just lift them into your hands. Father, that you would heal in accordance with your will. And may you be glorified in all that you do. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You know, as we recall last week's uh, resurrection story, uh, you know, during the crucifixion, there was an earthquake, then darkness. Uh, But during the resurrection, there was an earthquake. Then light. Uh, during the crucifixion, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Uh, but during the resurrection, the stone was rolled away. Now, I don't think there's any coincidence here. Um, but as creation and man uh, reacted to the sacrificial gift from God, Jesus dying on the cross, suffering and separated from the Father, yet three days later, The power and the glory of God becomes manifest. In this story, uh, this plan of salvation has been shown in Scripture uh, from Genesis through Revelation. And so uh, as we study, uh, you know, looking uh, in the book of Romans, as we continue our study in Romans, uh, we found that in chapter 6 and 7, we studied the law and its power. um, But we also looked at sin. In its power. Uh, we learned that there were two covenants, uh, the Old Testament uh, unconditional uh, covenant or contract by God. Uh, he will provide a way of salvation uh, regardless of how bad we may be or how much sin we have in our life. His love is unconditional, and this led the way for grace and God's conditional contract or New Testament covenant, which means. Um, that at least from our part of the covenant, 
um, we are to accept God's free gift of life, uh, beginning in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the Messiah, and that uh, we are to uh, accept this as a free gift, and it is a free gift, uh, and to repent of our sins. So let's move into chapter 8, and we want to talk about life in the Spirit, knowing we are secure in faith in Christ. Recall um, earlier that Paul had used three analogies, uh, one of baptism, two of slavery, and then finally of marriage to describe our legal binding uh, to the flesh and sin. But through Jesus, uh, we were freed from uh, sin and its bondage. And as such, we are free to be guided by the Spirit. Um, so in uh, the 8th chapter of Romans, it, it, it's one of the greatest uh, chapters in the Bible. Uh, it really is. And um, as we begin, uh, Paul is going to give us uh, the provisions for assurance of our salvation. We don't need to doubt whether or not we are saved or not. Uh, but by the same token, there should be no doubt if others look at us uh, that we are indeed uh, children of God. And um, if we uh, let's begin, let's just look at the first verse. So we're going to begin in Romans 8, uh, verse 1. And um, it says, there's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after flesh, but after spirit. If we um, look at this. Uh, we we find this word condemnation, and um, if we look on down, it, it says in verse two. Um, well, let's just take a look at uh, at verse one uh, before we move on, uh, because it uh, it's a good place to start. If we uh, look at verse one, uh, we see that there's now therefore no condemnation. And then if we end chapter 8 and go all the way to uh, verses 38 and 39, uh, we see, for I'm persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall separate, shall separate us from the love of God. So uh, there's a lot in between uh, chapter uh, or verse 1. In verse 39 uh, in chapter 8. And so as we look, uh, the first thing that kind of pops out in verse 1 is condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation. Now this word condemnation, uh, the Greek word katakrima, and uh, the, this katakrima is actually, uh, the, the meaning is the exact opposite of justification. Uh, remember with justification, uh, we stand before a judge, totally guilty, deserving of our just penalty, but instead the judge announces that we are innocent. No crime do I see. Of course, Jesus has taken uh, upon himself our sins and taken that sin away from us, hence making us innocent. Uh, thus, our innocence is justified through Christ. Well, this uh, catacrima or condemnation means that we... Uh, are not only guilty, but we do indeed deserve the death penalty. But here, 
Uh, it's a negative statement. There is no condemnation, uh, thank goodness. Um, but look and see where this uh, condemnation, or rather, uh, it's just another way of saying justification, comes from. It comes through, as it continues in verse 1, through Christ Jesus. As we said earlier, we are no longer under the constant threat of a judicial uh, punishment of God. And as Paul further explains in this verse, or if we move on to and read verses 2 through 4, we see, for the law of the Spirit in life is Christ Jesus has made me, me now, free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. And then he says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. You see, the law of Moses could not justify us. And so, of course, that was why Jesus had to enter the picture. And if we look at verse 5, uh, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit are things after the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but in the spiritually minded is life and peace. So here we have two things. We have flesh and mind. Of course, with flesh, you know, we have the carnal flesh, and this carnal flesh uh, causes us, of course, to do carnal things, but it's through the mind. And, and the Greek word here for mind is phreneo, and uh, what it really means, it's a habit of thought. Um, deep within our brains, we have what's called the limbic system. And over time, it has received and integrated all of the data, all of the sensory input, uh, things that are pleasant, things that are unpleasant. And in doing so, it's really shaped our personality. And so uh, if we follow our minds or our thoughts, it drives our behavior, uh, including uh, going against the law and sin. And so it's carnal, and that's what we look at. But if you uh, look at verses 7 and 8, uh, it says, But the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If we look at James 4, 4, James 4, 4, James says, Do you not know that friendship with the earth is enmity with God? Whosoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. You know, we see uh, a lot of, uh, social postings of people who, um, you know, really are involved in a lot of environmental things. And I'm not saying we should be stewards of our planet, but uh, we tend to want to uh, marry uh, or, or be intimate with the earth and, and with uh, the physical things. And, and we find out that these physical things and involvement with the flesh, you know, if we look at verse 8, of the flesh cannot please God. But this is very interesting uh, because if you think about it, uh, God is spirit and he did create a spirit world. You know, the angels, cherub, seraphim and all of that. But his greatest achievement was the physical. 
the earth, the moon, the sun, the stars, and of course we like to say his crowning achievement was man. And man is physical, not spiritual. So, you know, what about that? If the flesh cannot please God, but man is flesh, so, and that was God's purpose, he created man flesh, uh, it can get kind of confusing. Uh, especially when we look at verse 9, and he says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Now here he's talking about Christians. Christians are not in the flesh. So there's a difference here. We're not talking about uh, uh, mankind in general, but we're talking about Christ Christians here. But you, Christians, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So if we uh, look at this, we see that uh, flesh indeed dies because of sin. Paul's already gone through that. We've, we've discussed that. But if Christ's body resurrected and he became righteous or he is righteous, then uh, well, look at what it says right here in verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. So we find out here that uh, really, to, to, you know, to sum up the whole Bible, I guess, uh, the main reason God created physical man or flesh was to demonstrate his ultimate authority and power over everything, including flesh, sin, and death. And only in this uh, fashion uh, would God be able to show his grace, his mercy, and his ultimate authority and power. Now, if we move into verse 12, uh, it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. And of course, that is through Christ. And we've talked about, uh, imagine not only us uh, living, but uh, we're actually righteous. Now, in verse 13, we see the, the phrase shall live. Now, this implies that we were already dead, not alive, but already dead. And Paul and other writings has has indicated this that we were we're dead already you know like picking uh some flowers and putting them in a vase the the flowers may look good but quite frankly you know they're already dead now we go to verse 14 this may be the most dramatic of all scripture verses and i don't know another term to use besides dramatic um if we look at it it says for as many as are led by the spirit of god they are the sons of God. And, and really what it's basically saying is that there is one characteristic quality of all who are truly born again believers in Christ. Now there are many who profess to be Christians and certainly in this political time, well, you know, there are those who profess to be Christians but, you know, if you look at their, you know, voting records and actions and everything, they still claim to be Christians, but mm, you kind of wonder. And I'm glad I'm not the one that has to judge them and judge their hearts, you know, at the great white throne judgment. But in verse 14, 
uh, it shows that the followers of Christ, that is, true children of God, they will exhibit thoughts, behavioral patterns, and lifestyles that are spiritual, not flesh-led. Of course, Paul has used this family unit many times in his letters, you know, child, adoption, father. And so if we read in verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And if you remember, uh, Jesus used this term to address the Heavenly Father uh, there when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane before his uh, crucifixion. And this term, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, it's very personal. It shows a loving, intimate relationship. And the thing is, true Christians have this intimate relationship with God the Father. If we look at verse 16, the Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so um, if we were to look at John 17:22, John 17:22. And, of course, Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion. And, and as Jesus was praying, uh, he said this in his prayer, uh, John seventeen twenty two, And the glory which you, the Father, gave me, the Son, I have given them, the disciples, and if you remember, the disciples were asleep at this time, that they may be one even as we, talking about Jesus the Son and God the Father, are one. So Jesus said, In the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So can you imagine us receiving glory, becoming like Christ, a child of God, being as one with the Father? Us. Us. And if we look at verse 18, for I reckon that none of the sufferings of this present time are not worth to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, if we think of a spectrum, you know, we talk about from one end to the other. <clears throat> we think about the characteristic of what a spectrum is, you know, kind of like a, a speedometer. One end, we've got zero miles per hour. The other, we have 120. Now, think of a good and an evil spectrum. At one end of the spectrum, there's evil. So we think of all the bad things we have to endure, the hardships, the cruelty, the stupidity, uh, and, and all the, the, the bad things. But now go to the other end of the spectrum and start thinking about the good things. Well, what Paul is actually saying here is we can't even imagine the good things. Uh, we simply cannot. And so if we look at verse 19, uh, for the earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. And he's talking about the creation in God the creator. And if we look at verse 21, because the creature or creation itself uh, shall be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know, verse 22, 
that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. So we have bondage and pain, travail. And think of pregnancy for a moment. Think about a woman's body that is bound by pregnancy. A baby's growing inside, and there may be pain and discomfort and all of that. But as the labor begins, there's certainly pain and discomfort. Uh, and remember, all of this was told uh, that this would be, that's what it was going to be. Uh, God told Eve, you know, way back in the Garden of Eden. But after the baby is born, the mother is no longer bound to pregnancy because she is not pregnant anymore. She's given birth to a child and all the uh, childbirth pains are gone. And now a family unit has begun. And if we look at verse 23, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. We see that uh, not only God's creation in this physical world will eventually cease from the suffering, from the evil. Uh, you know, if we were to fast forward to the book of Revelation, we're going to see how everything, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So even in the creation, everything's going to be changed. Man also, you know, Paul says we are adopted into the family of God. Because of God's redemptive plan through Christ. And, and you see, we've said this before, this was the only way God could truly demonstrate his ultimate character, showing his love, grace, mercy, and power. And we as Christians, uh, we're part of that. We have also said that there are many that profess to be Christians, but, mm, you know, sometimes we wonder. And so if we go down to verse 24, uh, it says, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen, uh, it's not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for it? But if we hope for that that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself makes intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What do we pray for? Really? I mean, what do we pray for? How does our prayer life affect our life? How does our prayer life demonstrate our love for God and the fact that we are indeed a child of God? Uh, best example I can give, and I'm sure you guys uh, can, can relate and have other examples, but uh, certainly I did not care for President Obama. Uh, his thoughts and ideals were far removed from mine, but but I still prayed for him, and I didn't pray for him just once. I prayed for him periodically, whether I liked him or not. He was indeed our bona fide elected president. And according to scripture, although I didn't like it, but according to scripture, I was obligated to pray for him. And I did. Well, what about President Trump? How many people do you think uh, they don't pray for him? Well, you look on every hand, everybody's just out to get him. Um, but. Uh, how many do you think pray for him? So, yes, 
Prayer life can be a strong indication for being called a child of God and following the Spirit. Now, well, running out of time, we need to skip on down, and uh, starting at verse 32. He spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And then we move on down to verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. And then I love 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? Look at verse 37. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor power, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God spared not his son. We are indeed justified. And if we are justified and are adopted children of God, God loves us and he's going to protect us. What's the worst that can happen to us? Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's pretty cool. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And if that doesn't ring your bell, then your clapper's broke. That's all I got to say. Well, uh, we're going to have to stop here. That's our lesson for today. But make sure uh, you uh, make contact with each other during this upcoming week. So until next week, may God bless you.